Hey, uh, so glad you're here today. We're, um, we're beginning a new series. Uh, we were going to begin it last week, but, uh, but we pushed um, uh, Lord's Supper forward one week because we missed the, the day after Christmas when we were going to celebrate Lord's Supper, and that was really important for us to do. So we're kicking off a new series, uh, and, and, and we're going to talk for the month of January. We're going to talk about the church. We're going to talk about what church is all about, what church is supposed to mean. And, and uh, when we got together... Uh, got together with some of our staff back uh, in 2009, uh, back in the fall, and we started trying to map out some of the stuff we wanted to teach about this year. And uh, one of the things, before we even went to that meeting, one of the things I knew is in January I want to do a series of messages about church, about what church is all about, what church should be about, why it's important, why God established it, all those kinds of things. And so, uh, so we put this on the calendar uh, several months ago, and I've been spending some time praying and, and thinking about what we want to what we want to talk about for the next few weeks. And, and if you've been here at Freedom for any period of time, and especially if you've been here since the beginning, since like day one, uh, you know that that we teach about this pretty regularly, or we try to. And, uh, and you can probably even say, okay, I know some of the scripture Cliff's going to use today because he teaches about this church thing and he always quotes this or that. And, and, and when we start thinking about why is there a church, what, is, what does church mean? And when I say that, I'm not talking about specifically Freedom Fellowship. We're going to talk about that later. But what I'm talking about is church in general because we live in an area where there's just churches all over the place. You ride by, you, you passed churches this morning to come here. And, uh, and just about everybody you know, whether they go to church or not, they've got somebody in their family that does. They've got some type of connection. They went to Bible school once. If they grew up in Greenville County, I think it's required that you go to Bible school at least once in your life or they kick you out of the county, you know, when you're 21. And so, so it's just such a part of where we live. But what does it all mean? What, what, is, church, what is church all about and, and, and why are we doing it? Well, the obvious answer that we're not going to spend a lot of time on today but, uh, but, I, but I can't skip over it. The obvious answer is found in Matthew 16, 18. And so just look at the screen. I'm going to have you open your Bibles in a minute. But Matthew 16, 18, this is Jesus' words. And Jesus said, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The obvious answer to the reason why we have church is because Jesus established it. Now, we believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, he was perfect. There was nothing wrong with him. He's the only man who ever lived on this earth and did not commit a sin. And so anything he did, we're supposed to imitate. That's the reason why we do baptism the way we do, because Jesus was baptized that way. And we want to imitate everything that Jesus did. Well, one of the things that Jesus did, one of the most lasting, uh, one of the things that lasts the longest that he did was that he established the church. And so before he left earth, he said, we're, we're going to establish the church. There's going to be church. And that's why we gather together here every Sunday morning, because Jesus has told us to do it, and it was his idea from the beginning. But as I started thinking about what we wanted to talk about this month, you know, every time I think about uh, the church, I always think about the book of Acts in the New Testament in the Bible. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and open to Acts. The New Testament is the, the second part of the Bible. And uh, you've got the first four books are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call those the Gospels, which gospel means good news. And then the book right after John is Acts. And it's the full name of it is the Acts of the Apostles. And we know the Apostles were the guys that, that hung around with Jesus and, and they were his first followers. And so there's a whole book, the book of Acts, that talks about what those guys did after Jesus went back 
to heaven and how they went on missionary journeys and they started new churches and all this kind of stuff. And when I think about church, that's where I always read because that was the beginning of church the way we do it today. You see, when you go to the book of Acts, what you need to understand is that what's happening there is a monumental change. It's a historic change. Because before Jesus came, before Jesus died on the cross, before he was resurrected, the way church was done is if you were Jewish, you went and, and, and you were going to church, you go out in your field, you find your absolute best calf or your best sheep or whatever it is that you might, whatever livestock you had, you find the best one you've got, you carry it to the temple with you and you go to the temple once a year and there will be all these people Hundreds and thousands of people showing up all with their livestock. They give their livestock to the priest. The priest slits its throat and lets it bleed all over the place on the altar. And then that was the way worship was done. And that was the way it was done because that's the way God said it should have been done in the Old Testament. And so what's happening in Acts, because Jesus now, Jesus died on the cross and he shed his blood. So he was the perfect sacrifice. Just like they would go out into their field and they would find their best calf or their best sheep, the one without any blemish on it. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice with no sin, with no blemish. And so now because he died and because of what he did on the cross and because of the resurrection, then the old way of worshiping by carrying a, an animal to be sacrificed, that's obsolete now. You're not supposed to do that anymore. So what you read in Acts is a monumental change. Because all these guys, for the very first time, okay, we're worshiping, but we're doing it without carrying an animal to church to cut its throat. This is a whole new thing to us. And so every, when you read in the book of Acts, starting in, in chapter 1 and you read through, you need to understand that what you're seeing is the very beginning days of the church. This was the first time it was done this way. It was the first time they were gathering in homes like they were and singing hymns and praying and all that kind of stuff that it says they did. All of this was brand new. And so when, when I read it, and especially there's one passage that I want us to look in in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 42 in just a minute. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, if you've got your Bibles. And uh, when I read this passage of Scripture, one of the things that strikes me is, is I read it and I say, man, that doesn't look a whole lot like church today. That's a lot different than the way we do church. It just doesn't seem to work out the way it did here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. So listen while I read this. And, and uh, if you don't have your Bibles, follow along. While I read it on the screen, it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now there's a tendency for us to read that and we look at it and we say, man, that doesn't look like my church. It doesn't look like any church I know of around here. And we could even look at it and say, no, wait a minute, Cliff, that's not church. Let me tell you, Cliff, I, I know what church is. I've grown up in church. Church is, you go once a week, this every day in the temple court, so what's up with that? You go once a week, you show up on Sunday, you stay for an hour, and if it goes longer than an hour, you're ticked off when you leave, all right, because you're late to get to Lorinda's or wherever you're going to eat after church, and, and, 
And because, you know, the Methodists, they're going to get their way before we do because they get, always get out right on time. And so we, you go and you stay for an hour and you hang out there. And, and, and if the offering plate comes by, you throw a little bit of money in there, but you do not share your possessions and goods. You don't share all of that stuff. There's no way you do that. And then you leave, and you don't really think about it till next week. And then if the weather's good and you got enough sleep, you go back again the next week. But if there's a little bit of ice on the road or if it's raining or if there's something better on TV, you don't go. That's church, Cliff. Don't you understand? This right here, this isn't church. This is something else. And that's we have a tendency to think that if we're honest with ourselves. And uh, it reminds me of a, one time I went out to eat with Donnie. And uh, Donnie didn't know I want to tell this story, but uh, I always talk about how Donnie can do just about anything and he's got talents y'all don't even know about and I went out to eat with him this one time and I found out another one of his talents we were uh, we were sitting there getting ready I think Mark King was there too we're getting ready to eat and we were we were having steak you know because back then none of us cared about our hearts and we're just ordering yes bring us steak and anything else you got fattening back there bring it on out here and, and so uh, so Donnie ordered a ribeye and I ordered a New York strip I, nothing against ribeyes, I love those too. I'll eat anything. And, uh, and so if it's meat, I pretty much will eat it. So the, the lady brings out our plates, and she sits a New York strip down. In a, she sits a ribeye down in front of me and sits a New York strip down in front of Donnie. Now, Donnie ordered the ribeye, and I ordered the strip. And uh, Donnie said, oh, okay, you got our orders mixed up. And she said, no, I didn't. And he said, yeah, I ordered a ribeye. And she said, yeah, that's a ribeye, pointed to his plate. He said, no, that's a, uh, that's a New York strip. She said, no, that's a ribeye. And, uh, and Donnie said, it doesn't matter. We're just going to switch our plates here. But, but you just need to know for future, that's not a ribeye. That's a New York strip. And I'm sitting here thinking, what the heck? How did Donnie get to be like a meat expert? You know? <laughs> and that's when I found out that one of his first jobs was he was a butcher at like Bilo. He used to cut meat. So see, he can, do, he can tune pianos, cut meat. You know, he can do all kind of stuff preach and so uh so the lady said no that's a you know whatever and, and so donnie's like okay fine whatever and you know let her go but i thought about that when i thought she in her mind she would look at that and say okay that can't be a, a ribeye that's got to be you know what i think it is because in her mind she thought she had it right and we can read this scripture right here and we can say wait a minute that can't be church because it doesn't look like what i think church is supposed to look like but that is what church should look like in fact, that was the first and probably the last time that church was ever that good. Because if you read through the rest of the New Testament, the rest of the letters of Paul are him writing back to these churches that are having all kind of problems, which are the same kind of problems we have today where he's saying stuff like, hey, you got some people infiltrating the church and they're teaching bad stuff. You need to kick them out of there and all this kind of stuff. But at this point, at these five verses, Acts 2, 42 through 47, that's what church is. That's what church is supposed to look like. And for our church and for any other church that says they follow the Bible, that should be our goal, that we should be doing these kinds of things. We should be seeing people saved every day. We should be meeting together regularly. We should be doing all that stuff. And as I read through Acts and as I read through the rest of the New Testament, one, one difference that I seem to see in the church in the New Testament and what, the way we do church today it can be summed up in one word, and that word is community. Because community has always been at the center of God's heart for what He has for His people. And what you see in Acts 2, 42 through 47 is community. It's people living life together. 
It's not one more activity that's added on to our lives. See, for a lot of times, for, for modern day, that's what church is for a lot of us in modern day. We, it, it's just one more thing that we plug into our lives along with a lot of other stuff. And so it's no different really than, than your country club membership or, or your, your participation in the Lions Club or a, a coupon swapping group or whatever it is that you do. You just add church into that and it's just one more activity. But if you will notice in the book of Acts, church wasn't an activity that people added to their lives. It was the community through which they lived their lives. And that's very, very different. It wasn't just an activity that they stuck in there. It was the community through which they lived their lives. It's the way they made decisions. It's the way that they functioned day in and day out. It had to do with the community of believers, the community of people that they were living their life through, which was the church. And I believe, and I think that Scripture teaches, that community is what God desires for this church and for all His churches. And that if... If, if, uh, if the community is doing what it's supposed to do, our center will be Jesus and our purpose will be clear. So here's a couple things I think we can learn as we, as we think about this idea of community. One is this. Community has always been God's plan. Community has always been God's plan. Now I told you at the beginning a little while ago that what was happening in Acts was this huge change. It was a historical, monumental change of, of the way things were done. But even though things were changing... The idea of community, uh, that, that wasn't a new idea. That was an old, very old idea. In fact, you can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Look at Genesis 2.18. God had created everything. He had created the earth, the, the oceans, all the animals, and he had created Adam. And in Genesis 2.18, look at what he says there. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him and after that he knocked about made eve and adam's life was never the same again right because all of a sudden he was married and it was awesome and uh so don't say that don't all right guys don't look at your wife and say well i bet my wife my life would be better if i was married to eve you know <clears throat> so but it was god's idea for community the very first thing in all of creation that god said was not good was that adam was alone Everything else was good up to that point. It says that he looked at this and it was good. He looked at that and it was good. And then he gets to Adam and says, wait a minute, this isn't good. You don't need to be alone. So community, from the very beginning of the earth, it was God's desire that we not live individually, that we not be like the Lone Ranger out there doing our own thing, that we have to have a community that we live through, and for today, that needs to be the church. Continue on through the, through the Old Testament. After you leave the Garden of Eden, and then uh, God establishes the nation of Israel. You remember reading about the Israelites throughout the Old Testament, and King David, and King Saul, and all that kind of stuff? Well, you know what the term that's used over and over again in the Old Testament for the nation of Israel? Over and over again, God calls it the community of Israel. And you read through there and it says the community of Israel did this and the community of Israel made this decision. The community of Israel did this that was stupid. The community of Israel went here and it went here. And over and over again, the word community is used in referring to Israel. And it's very clear that it was God's desire for Israel to, to suffer under, as slaves under Pharaoh as a community. For them to be delivered from Pharaoh through the exodus as a community. For them to wander in the wilderness as a community. And for them to eventually enter the promised land as a community. And then you move on to Jesus. 
Jesus comes to earth. He starts his ministry. What is one of the very first things Jesus did when he started his ministry? What did he do? Anybody know? You can answer out loud. Turn water to wine was the first miracle. Great. Then, then what did he do? Yeah, he went out and picked some disciples. He went out and he started finding guys on the side of the road and said, you follow me, you follow me, you follow me. Okay, 12, that's all we need right now. And he created a community. That was exactly what he did. He, 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 if anybody could have done it on their own, it was Jesus. But even Jesus said, it's God's desire for all of us to live in community. So I'm going to pick 12 guys. I'm going to teach them what real community looks like. We're going to hang out together for three years. And then when I'm crucified, when I come back to life, and then when I go back into heaven, they're going to know what they're supposed to do. And they can go out and they can start their own little communities, which will be called churches. Community has always been part of God's plan for us. And he's designed us to live in community. Now, as we think about community, one of the things that's, that should be obvious to us is this, is that community is powerful. Community is powerful. See, if, if we're doing church the way we're supposed to do it, it's going to be life-changing for two groups of people. For those that are in church, that are in the community, which is you, by the way, you're here today, so you're part of the community. If you're in the community, and it's going to be powerful for those who are outside of the community. For those of us in the community, what, what, what it should do for us is it should challenge us to be better men and women. It should challenge us to get closer to Jesus. Proverbs 27, 17 says this, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. By the way, ladies, that verse is for you as well, okay? That verse is like required reading for every men's group I've ever been in. It's like, oh, we're going to start a men's group. We're going to do Bible study. First thing we're going to do is memorize this verse. As iron sharpens iron. So those of you that sign up for the life group that Donnie leads, it's all men. I've just given you your first assignment. You've got to learn that verse because if you're a man. No, but that, that verse is for men and women as well. And, and what I love about that is it, it gives a great example of what's supposed to happen in community because here's the deal. It doesn't say as really strong iron works on weaker iron. It doesn't say as, as two different substances work against each other. What does it say? Iron and iron. Two of the same substance. They're, they're equally strong. They're equally weak. They're the same thing. But, but in the hands of someone who knows what they're doing, they can take two pieces of iron and they can work them together and both pieces will get sharper by their continued use with each other. That's the same thing that's supposed to happen to us in community. If we're all equals, we're all sinners, None, God doesn't love any of us any more than he loves the other one. God doesn't look at me and say, you know what, Cliff is up there preaching a message today. I love him a lot more than anybody else in that building right now. He doesn't look at it that way. And he doesn't look at you and say, uh, you know, you, this, whoever you might be dropped in more money in the bucket when it went by a while ago. More love for you, more money equals more love. No, God loves us all the same. We're all sinners that are just as equally in need of his grace. And so since we're equal, then we can, if we put ourselves in his hands, just as iron sharpens iron, we can sharpen each other if we're living in community together. And that should happen for us, for those of us inside the community. Community is powerful because it creates ways where we can become better people. That happens through shared experiences, through shared wisdom. One of the things that I love, we're doing life group signups now, and one of the things that I love about life groups, and it's happened in just about every life group I've ever led, 
is we'll be in that life group and we'll be talking about life and talking about issues and somebody will share something that's going on in their life. They'll, find, they'll open up at something maybe they've been holding in and, and they'll say, we just need y'all to pray for us because this is happening. And every time that's ever happened in my life group, there will be someone else in that group that will say, I've been through the exact same thing. And so now, and it might not be anything I've ever been through before. And so now, it doesn't matter who the leader is, you got somebody in here that says, hey, I've lived through that, and let me tell you what God did for me. God brought me through it. And so they're sharing their experience together with this other person, and all of a sudden, this person is strengthened because of what God's already done in this other person's life. And that can only happen in community. That doesn't happen when you separate yourself and you sit home alone and you say, those people at that church, they're a bunch of hypocrites. I don't want to go there or whatever else. That only happens when you allow yourself to be involved in community with other people. And it makes us better people when we do that. The other group of people that are affected when community is powerful are those outside the walls. And I, I tell you this all the time, and I'm going to, con I'm going to continue to teach it, that I believe that, that when a church loses sight of who's outside the walls, when a church loses sight of why we're here, which is to reach those people that aren't in this building yet, you look around, we've got empty seats here today, all of us should be thinking about somebody that's out there today that's not, not at another church. I don't want anybody from Washington Baptist Church or Appalachia or anybody else. I'm talking about people you know that they're not going to church anywhere. And you look at these empty seats, and that's who we're supposed to be trying to reach. And if the community of the church is doing what it's supposed to do, it's going to be powerful in those people's lives because we're going to be able to go out there and we're going to be able to make a difference. It's just simple math that even somebody remedial in math like me can understand. If I go out by myself, one man, and I say, man, I'm going to reach people for Jesus and I'm going to do it all by myself, I can be somewhat effective. But if there's a hundred of us, that say, we're going to reach people for Jesus. And everywhere we work and in the neighborhoods we live in and the places we play and all that stuff, we're going to reach people for Jesus. Would 100 people be more effective than one person reaching people for Jesus? Every time. Would 1,000 people be more effective than 100 people? Every time. Would 10,000 be more effective than 1,000? Every time. Because there's, it's just simple mathematics. There's more of us in more places telling the same story about Jesus to more different people. And it makes a difference when community can be powerful when we work together. The Apostle Paul, uh, he, he, he shared it this way. He gave a great example about our human body. And look, look while I read this. Look on the screen. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 20. He said this, The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. It's a really simple example that Paul's using here. And he's saying this, your physical body is at its best when it's complete. 
When, when everything's working the way it's supposed to be, your physical body is at its best. And some of you are like, dude, you haven't seen my physical body. I'm far from at my best. Well, chances are we all are, right? We, we all have ways we need to improve. But, but we, that's, that's when things are working best, when everything's working like it's supposed to. And if it's not, you're in the hospital or, you know, whatever might be going on. And we love stories, and I love to hear stories about people who are physically limited but still do amazing things. Look, look at this picture right here. This guy, uh, this guy's named Rudy Garcia Tolson. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but I saw a, a feature on him uh, on ESPN a few months ago. This guy was born without legs, and so he, he has these prosthetics that he wears. Now, he doesn't just wear prosthetics and, like, go to work and stuff. You know what he does? He competes in triathlons, not like many triathlons. I'm talking the one where you swim, like, a mile and a half and bike a 1,000 miles and then run a marathon at the end. He does those without legs, Okay. I couldn't do one section of that, and I got all my legs and arms, and everything's working great. Uh, there's no way, I, you know, it would take me months and months of training. And this guy does that on a regular basis. And we love those stories of guys that do that. There was a story, uh, I think it was last spring or maybe spring before last, of a kid who went to Riverside High School who was born without legs who pitched for Riverside wearing his prosthetics. And he was a pitcher, and, and, he, and he competed, and he was a good pitcher, too. And I remember reading that in the paper thinking, that is amazing that that kid did that. And it was amazing that his parents raised him to say, you can do that if you want to. I love stories like that. And those are great stories. But, but the reality is, I watched the NFL last night. I watched two playoff games yesterday, and I plan on watching two more today. And, uh, and to think, when I was watching those NFL playoff games, now you think about this. There's 32 NFL teams. So that means these are the best football players in the world. There's nobody better at playing football than those guys currently on those teams right now. There's nobody in the NFL with no legs wearing prosthetics. There's not. There's not a one-legged guy playing in the NFL. The next catcher that the Atlanta Braves call up to play in the major leagues from the minors is not going to be a blind guy. It's just not going to be that way. Because to compete at the highest level, your body has to be complete. Now, you can overcome, we can overcome a lot of obstacles with our body, just like this guy did and other people did. You can overcome a lot and still accomplish a lot if your body's limited. But those that compete at the highest level athletically, their bodies are complete. And it's no different with the church. The church can overcome uh, some of you saying, you know what, I'm just here to watch the show. Chris puts on a good show every week, and I'm here to do that. And then I go home, and I don't give, I don't serve, I don't do anything. But I'm going to come back next week because I think when I die and go to heaven, God's going to ask me if I went to church, which, by the way, he's not. We can talk about that later. But if you're here and you say, I'm just not going to do, I'm just not going to do anything, I'm not going to participate, this church can still accomplish some stuff. We can still do some things. But for this church to be powerful to be the powerful community that God's intended for it to be, for this church to operate at the highest level, to function at the absolute top, and to be as effective as we can, it's going to work best if the body is complete. If everybody here says, I'm going to figure out what my place is and I'm going to do something, 
No, I'm not an eye, but I might be a hand, so I'm going to do that. No, I'm not a foot, but it doesn't cease from being a part of the body if I don't want to serve, or I'm not an ear, whatever it might be. But I'm going to find what my part of the body is, and I'm going to work as hard as I can on it, and I'm going to do it with a good attitude. When we get to the point where we're like that, where all of us are like that, this church will be a body that will be functioning at the highest level that it can function, and will make the biggest impact that we can make in that community. I want to finish up by reading you a quote. Uh, And I've read this quote before, but it's probably been a long time ago. But several years ago, um, when I was praying through, you know, what what I was going to do in my life and whether we should start a church and all that kind of good stuff, uh, I read a book by a guy named Bill Hybels, and um, he started a church up in Chicago called Willow Creek Community Church. And he wrote this book called Courageous Leadership. And in the in the intro to Courageous Leadership, there was a quote that when I finished reading the intro, I thought, I can lay this book down and it would be worth the price that I paid for it, even if I don't read the rest of it after I read this quote. And I want to read it to you because it's, it's talking about what the power of the local church can be. And uh, this, is what, this is what he said. He said, I believe that the local church is the hope of the world. I believe to the core of my being that local church leaders have the potential to be the most influential force on planet Earth. If they get it and get on with it, churches can become the redemptive centers that Jesus intended them to be. Dynamic teaching, creative worship, deep community, effective evangelism, and joyful service will combine to renew the hearts and minds of seekers and believers alike, strengthen families, transform communities, and change the world. And I want to tell you something. That's what God wants in this community. And that's what he wants to see happen in this church. And those of you that have heard me teach very often, you know that I don't put a lot of stock. I don't put any faith at all in our government doing anything for anybody. And I think it's time that we all turned off Glenn Beck and quit getting so aggravated at the Democrats and whoever else is in power and realize that it's our job to feed hungry people, that it's our job to make a difference in this community, that if you're dependent on the government to do anything for you, then you're not doing what the Bible says because the Bible says that it's our job as a church to do community together and for us to go out and make an impact in the world. And that's the only thing that will change lives. There's not a government program that's ever been started that will get anybody through the gates of heaven. But Jesus will. He's the only one who will. And it's our job to tell people about the hope of Jesus. Their hope is not in anything else. It's not in a government. It's not in any kind of Eastern mystical religion. It's not through music. It's not through entertainment. It's not through anything but Jesus. And it's our job to be the powerful community that sharpens each other when we're together and then walks out of these doors and makes a difference and an impact in the lives of the people we work with and we play with and we live with. And that's what we're supposed to do. And if we do that, if we live community together, then we're not going to have to worry about paying bills and building buildings and seeing people saved because it's going to happen. It is going to happen if we will all do our part and be the body and go out there and go out these doors and be the body. So I want to finish up by just saying that and ask us to pray together here in just a second. But I want you to, I want you to know that for over the next few weeks, we're going to continue to talk about it. And, I, and, and just, just kind of as a warning or I don't know if it's a warning or not, but just so you'll know, 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk the next couple weeks. I'm going to say some pretty blunt things and, and that kind of stuff. And it's funny when I do that, I get two different reactions from people or people that talk to me. Some people just don't say anything. But um, some people, man, I'll be blunt and I'll just be in your face and I'm almost cussing, you know, and all that kind of stuff and just really going at it. And some people are like, man, that was awesome. We need more of that. I love that kind of stuff. And then somebody else will be like, is everything okay? Are you angry? So over the next couple of weeks, I want you to know, I'm not angry at anybody. But I'm, I, I just, the, the one thing that keeps me up at night, I don't, I don't stay up at night worrying about a whole lot. But one thing that keeps me up at night is, is this church being all that it can be. Am I, as a, as a leader of this church, pushing us to be all it can be? And are we, all of us, moving together? Because there is no limit to what God can do. Because there's no limits to our God. And so there's no limit to what he can do here. So let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much that you don't intend for us to live by ourselves and you don't intend for us to, to try to do life alone. God, help us as a body to be more like the church in Acts 2, 42 through 47 that it would truly become who we are. That we wouldn't have to try to create programs for it and all that kind of stuff, but it would just be a natural outgrowth of what you're doing in our lives. You have sacrificed everything for us. There's no one else who's ever died for me. There's no one else who's ever provided everything for me so, God, there should be no reason that I would give any of my loyalty or any of my honor to anyone but you because you deserve all of it. And I pray that that, that would be our heart, that would be burned in our hearts this year. For everybody in this building, for those that aren't here today, that our desire would be that everything we do bring you honor, that we would do community in such a way that it sharpens us, it makes us stronger, and it prepares us to go out into a world that needs you and share your message. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.